Well, friends, it's a great privilege to be with you to be able to come and uh, share on the topic of diversity this morning. I'm going to be tag-teaming with my brother, Doug Logan. He said something confusing to me earlier about something about him being Kanye and me being Jay-Z. I have no idea what that means, (laughs) but we'll figure it out as we go. I am a, a collection of seeming contradictions. I am a white African. I am an African who does not dance. Um, I'm also Presbyterian, so I never really had a chance on that front. Uh, And I minister in a city of contradictions. Uh, For the last 10 years, I've been planting churches in the most beautiful and yet the most divided city in the world. And I know when church planters stand up in front of other groups, especially when they're trying to get funds, they talk about how their church plant is in the most strategic, the most... Uh, critical, the most needy place. Some of us must be lying just by the sheer numbers. Um, and so you roll your eyes when I, when, I, when I say that Cape Town is the most beautiful and yet divided city in the planet, on the planet. Uh, you can fight and you can challenge me on the beauty part. You'll lose, but you can fight me on that one. But sadly, the second part of my statement is not hyperbole. I wish it was. Uh, but 400 years of first the colonial project, and then apartheid has entrenched divisions so incredibly deep down into uh, the geography and the soul of the city that I minister in. So I pastor a church in a largely uh, affluent white city center in Cape Town. Uh, Inside the catchment area of our church plant are holiday homes of Hollywood stars. Just 15 minutes away from my church uh, is a neighborhood called Nyanga, a township called Nyanga. It has a higher murder rate than a war zone. It's almost exclusively black. Many people live in shacks and use buckets for toilets. Now, as a white pastor in post-apartheid Cape Town, I have to, have to, have to care about diversity because my city stands in very, very stark contrast to the beautiful gospel promises of Genesis chapter 12, Matthew 28, and that is that God is gathering for himself a people made up of all tribes. It's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. So we then can't plant churches that are apathetic to the division that exists in our world and around us. So we, got, we can't preach nice sermons about the, the, the multi-ethnic heavenly choir in Revelation chapter 7 who are singing the praises of God and then at the same time ignore division that's on our doorsteps in our communities. Now I know for most of us it's good... Uh, Bible scholars, Ephesians chapter 2 is kind of our go-to passage on division, but it's really important to keep chapter 2 within the context of the larger vision of the book of Ephesians, and that is that the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine is building a unified church that displays his manifold wisdom to the heavenly, to the heavenly realms. And so the very next chapter, then in chapter 3, you find Paul, the apostle Paul, on his knees, and he's praying. He's praying and he's begging God to to bring together this unified, this diverse church that the heavens are going to look at and marvel at. And so I want you to just very, very quickly see three things in Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 that we need if we are going to plant and we're going to establish these diverse churches. Three things that have really pushed me and challenged me around this issue. Number one, we need to, verse 16, be strengthened by God's power through the Spirit. We need that so that this glorious, multi-ethnic, multinational saving work of Christ will dwell deep down in our hearts and our inner beings, Paul says. Because if you've got that gospel 
dwelling deep down in your hearts, then surely you'd want diversity. Well, that's where it's going. That's what you want. Now, by, by implication, that doesn't come naturally to our hearts. The gospel comes supernaturally to hearts. That doesn't come naturally to our hearts. Division comes naturally to our hearts. Racism comes naturally to our hearts. The gospel comes supernaturally to our hearts. There's a reason Paul's on his knees. There's a reason he humbles himself and he goes after God's supernatural power. Otherwise, he'd just keep teaching. If I'm honest and I look at my own church, which is largely white, I can trace our church's deepest failures in the area of diversity to prayerlessness to prioritizing strategy over communing with the God who holds all the power to change things? I mean, listen, friends, the colonial project in apartheid has a 400-year head start on my little church. We think we're going to change the face of Cape Town by a little bit of woke preaching and teaching? We need to be strengthened by God's power. Number two, verse 17, we need to be rooted and established in love. Now, why do we need that? Well, we need that because if you don't have a cross-shaped view of love, then you will never display the sort of love that's going to breed diversity. So Paul there, he, he points to the, the wide, long, high, and deep love of Christ. And I, I think he's surely speaking about the cross at that point. Because right there at the cross, at the center of the Christian faith, you have the perfect Holy One, who dies for the sinner, who is not holy. You have the infinite one who dies for the the finite. You have Christ dying for people who are wholly other and different from him in so many respects. So you can't really be rooted and established in that costly love and then ignore people who are other to you in your community. One of the obstacles, I think, to diversity is that what we've done is we've, we've substituted the love of the cross for a more pedestrian form of love. So a love that doesn't include sacrifice for those who are different from us, a love that doesn't include cost. Friends, there, there are a lot of, and I'm just going to throw them under the bus here, but there are a lot of white Christians in my country who want to display love across the racial lines, and they hope that that's kind of going to offset centuries of segregation somehow, but they want to do it without cost to themselves. They don't want to think about how it's going to affect their comfort, how it's going to affect their emotions, um, how it's going to affect their bank balances, how it's going to affect them giving up rights and privileges. And so what they do is they swap the love of the cross for a very anemic, sentimental love that is not a biblical love, and then they wonder why their churches remain so divided. We have to be rooted and established in the love of the sinless one who dies willingly and sacrificially for the sinner who is so different from him. So different from him. You don't get that, you don't get that rootedness in your church without deliberately discipling people down into that love. I think another of our failings as a church has been to preach up here about the glorious love of Christ and then not get down here with individual people, deliberately discipling them into the ways of love as it pertains to the racial division in our city. Alongside this, I think we've often failed to make deliberate structural decisions about the the, the organizational side of our church that moves kind of beyond multicultural window dressing to actually really upending imbalances of power and access and privilege among different race groups in our congregation. 
We need to get right down to that level. Diversity comes through being rooted and established in that costly love. Number three, verse 19. We need to be filled with the fullness of God. Now, Paul, I think, is saying in some sort of mysterious way, we, the the finite, touch the infinite as we are filled with the fullness of him who is infinite. And so to be filled then is, is to have something of the mind and the heart of God replicated in our minds and in our hearts. It's to be filled up with his divinity in some sense. And there's a couple of things when we're looking at the subject of diversity, in particular the issue of race, which is our city's context, that are clear in the mind of God as you look into Scripture, clear in the heart of God as you look into Scripture. The mind and the heart of God is decidedly against racism and disunity. That's the whole point of the previous chapter, chapter 2 of Ephesians. Two ethnic and religious groups are divided from each other, and the heart of God, the mind of God, is to make the two groups one. Destroy the barrier at the dividing wall of hostility. God is decidedly anti-racist. And so then to be filled with the fullness of that God is to ourselves be decidedly anti-racist. Now, can I add another step to that? Maybe it's a little bit controversial in, in some circles. I don't know. God is decidedly not colorblind. So God, God, God doesn't make Jews into Gentiles and Gentiles into Jews in order to fix the problem of Ephesians 2. He creates one new humanity of Jew and Gentile. So that isn't colorblindness that just says, oh, just forget about diversity. Let's all worship Jesus together. You might notice that if you had a dark complexion before you came to Jesus, you still have a dark complexion. You become white. If you had a light complexion before you came to Jesus, you still have a light complexion now. The gospel takes us in our rich diversity and it builds us into something brand new. It doesn't flatten out our diversity. Who's there at the end? Revelation chapter 7. So like we all get to the new creation. Whoa, everybody's white. Look at this. You get to Revelation chapter 7 and they're not mono-ethnic. They are the multi-ethnic new humanity. So your ethnicity, your skin color is not a part of the fall. It is part of God's great redemptive tapestry that God is building. This is the heart and the mind of God. That is the fullness that we need to be filled with. Last year, I taught through the book of Ephesians with my congregation. When we got to Ephesians chapter 2, I preached it, and a person of color in my congregation wrote me an email. He spent years worshiping and serving in different ministry capacities in evangelical churches in Cape Town. And he said to me, Stephen, that's the first time someone has told me that my skin color is not a part of the fall. That broke me. Friends, we are to be filled with the fullness of the God who is anti-racist and yet at the same time not colorblind. Acts 29, brothers and sisters, are we strengthened? Are we rooted? Are we filled? As a diverse global family of church planting churches, we need to, like Paul, humble ourselves and pray to this end that God might build this diverse, unified, multi-ethnic, multinational church that proclaims his great wisdom to the entire universe. I'm going to invite Doug, and he's going to come, and he's going to take over. Amen.
Adam Ramsey went too long, so I got to speed up. <laughs> so let me, let me be Camden for a minute. Gumbo. I mean, Ephesians 4, chapter 1. Um, he threw me the alley-oop. I was trying to tell him, when we, when, if you listen to Watch the Throne with Jay-Z and Kanye, they come off of each other. It's not like separate. So he, he, he's, he's, I've taken his Jay-Z pass. And... Um, <laughs> Gumbo. I want you to hear gumbo when I, if I was to read Ephesians 4 1, I'll read it for you. Therefore, a prisoner in the Lord urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of love of the Spirit through the blood of, through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. At your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. I call this the diversity of oneness. The diversity of oneness. Work with me. So when I think about gumbo, I think about Leon's Crump. Um, that Creole Leon's Crump. So gumbo is an interesting meal. It is a combination of vegetables, it's a combination of vegetables and peppers, mainly celery, mixed with some onions, and then they chop that thing up and she uses the knife and blends it all in, and then she mixes in, that's grandma I'm talking about, and then she mixes in sausage and chicken and crawfish and shrimp, and and it's sauteed with a a lot of high blood pressure seasoning. And they douse this beautiful mix. And, and there's one thing that's, there's a bunch of variables, but there's one constant, and that's the rule. For the record, the rule is dark. Amen, somebody. So stay with me now. And so Paul is trying to teach us in the diversity of oneness how to make some gospel gumbo. See, gospel gumbo is made of a bunch of Puerto Ricans, Brazilians, Africans, Norwegians, even British folk, and uh, <laughs> mixed all into this gospel gumbo with Jesus himself being the root. So Paul says, listen, Stephen just throws the alley-oop to the picture and the, and the ideology behind all that brought us to the cross and the cross tearing down not skin color, but, tearing, but the cross tearing down the division to create unity. What a blessing. So he jumps in, and so this passage is saying to a bunch of people in Ephesus, hey, look. I know you come from different backgrounds. I know some of you have been abused and some of you have been raised by good parents. I know some of y'all are poor and some of y'all are broke, not just black and white. I know some of y'all come from working class and some of you are royals. I know some of you got these type of issues and that issues. I know you're from different countries, from different ideologies, from different cults, from different gods, from monotheistic and polytheistic. I don't care. 
Jesus is going to tell you and show you that it was by his cross that he broke down the hostility between two people groups, Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles, listen, that's everybody outside of the covenant, a.k.a. the non-Jews, and therefore this is this Skittles group in the room. We were all separated from God without hope, without God, on our way to hell, pressing a dying pillow. If not for Jesus... This room ain't real. If not for Jesus, this is an IBM conference. But because of the hostility is down, we are one. Not a tagline for the webpage. We are the global family of diverse churches, planting churches in the cracks and crevices of Camden and in Cambodia and in Scotland and in Beverly Hills and in Burbank. Why? Because we lead the way in making and teaching how to make gospel gumbo. So the first piece, I'm almost done, Steve. Don't dock my check. Can I say he's punching in the face supremacy? I think here he's punching in the face Jewish supremacy. Let that ride to your race. White supremacy, black supremacy, in India, class supremacy. He's punching it all in the face because only he is supreme. Your supremacy is bootleg. If it was Jordans, it wouldn't even have a J on it. It'd be Ordens, your supremacy. If it was Gucci, it'd be Uchi because the G would be missing. Your supremacy is whack bootleg and has no eternal reality. So the supremacy we're pointing to in Ephesians 4.1 is the supremacy of Christ. Why is he supreme? Because he's given us grace, the great equalizer. Not Denzel, but the great equalizer. (laughs) The great equalizer. I got to land this plane. How do we do it? So we to live worthy of a calling. I want you to know calling, not duty necessarily. Calling, not option. If you don't do the calling, you sin. Some folk think diversity is an option for their church. Lie from the devil. There is no option. You have to love me. That's why I rub chocolate all over black folk that don't look like they like me. I just hug them and rub chocolate on them. And so Paul says a couple of things to do this. I got to finish. Hurry up. Come on, Doug. It comes down to posture, humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. The idea here, it has to have a posture of caring about somebody more than you, even somebody who doesn't care about you. It has to have the posture of not getting your way, even though you got a lot of Hilton rewards points and you think you should be somewhere, even though you don't like the, the non-business class, you have to fly. It has to care more about you when you're in the room and they're speaking another language and you think one thing. It has to care more than send her home. And we co-sign that by being silent. That's right. Has to say more than that. The church is God's multicultural adoption center. That's what it is. We got a bunch of adoptions here. 
I, I think about, I was just in Jeff Metter's church in Houston, Africa, Houston, and it's so hot. And there was one family had nine kids and they were almost all adopted. They were diverse. Tony Marie and them. They got a bunch of like 77 kids too, all from different places and spaces. And each one has to come in. And Tony and Kimberly teach one of them what a Marita family is to be. And then when the next adopted came, they had to adapt and adopt to the rules of daddy. And then the next one had to come in. They came from Russia and Ethiopia, but there was one rule in that house, and that was the rule of love and humility and oneness in Maritaism, a.k.a. the gospel. So it is with you at your church. You are a multicultural adoption center. And when they come in, you just don't inflict some cultural dynamic and make theirs evil. You let the gospel reign and rule. That's why we can have diversity in oneness. I'm going to land the plane right here. I'm editing while I'm talking. So every blood test of every believer in this room, if we were on Maury Povich, it would say, God, you are the father. <laughs> That's what it would say. All of our birth certificates will have Abba as daddy on it. So don't act like I'm not your brother. Don't get funny with your stuff. And so we got the picture. Now here's the posture. So he tells Paul, he, so Paul is telling the church at Ephesus, listen, I've given you the picture of humbleness and peace, but I want to remind you of the bigness of all that God is and all that he does. So look what he runs down in the picture. Verse four, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in all. So I had it chopped up, but this is what I'm going to say. Those seven ones aren't sameness, but oneness. Those seven, all, those seven ones mean it's not about you, but it's about the one, the Holy One, Yeshua HaMashiach, our Savior. It's not about how you do in your country. I love it, your country, but it's about Jesus and the new country, the new heavens and the new earth. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. One thing about gumbo, can't put it in a microwave. You got to cut that, that John. John, J-A-W-N, look it up. Saute. Catch. And then you got to cook it for three to six hours. We're not going to get diversity yet, figure this diversity stuff out in this conference. But you might be the tweener church. You might be the church. Stephen may never see in Cape Town a diverse church. But doggone it, he better run his lap so that his great-grandchildren will see a gumbo church. So if you're in here, you need to run your lap. 
so that we might have a gospel gumbo church for next and the next generation. My last piece, and I'm walking off. I left some time. That's a raise. If I would have went over, that would have been a deduction. So I'm almost off. Acts 29 planners. Men, I'm saying this to you. We need to repent of our false ideology and our false whack theology that we can also have when it comes to race. We have a low view of race, and we, but we fight hard against other sins, and we act like race is an option. It's not. Repent of that. That's not tweakable. That's repentable. Second, we have to retrain. The people you've been preaching and teaching, maybe for a long time to that bootleg version, they are messed up too. So we got to retrain them properly, and then you've got to reset ministries so that the next generation doesn't run in to the clogs and, and the backups. Listen, you love the plumber when it's backed up. So love your pastor as he fights through it. Lord bless you.